Good morning. Good morning. Happy Saturday, everybody. Welcome to episode 29 of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Did you get a chance to subscribe yet? Head on over to iTunes and Spotify and click that subscribe button. New episodes of the Quickie Podcast, seven days a week. Sounds crazy saying it. Don't miss one. Go subscribe. Today's guest is Devar Azerbeji. He was born in London, England, traveled around a lot, and landed in Cincinnati, Ohio. He has had a very busy design career going from designer to head of design to design director and most recently creative director of in-house design. He is also a design instructor at the Modern College of Design. This was a great interview he shares with us about how he traveled around a ton when he was a child from England to Rome to France to Washington, D.C., New York, even did some in du- uh, stint in Dubai and then landed in Cincinnati, Ohio. He is very talented himself, but he also loves sharing great work from talented designers and illustrators out there from a number of different places. Um, he's very active on LinkedIn, very active on Instagram, and he's a great person for the design community. I really enjoyed my conversation with him. Ladies and gentlemen, Devar. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Hello, Devar. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Are you ready for a Quickie? Absolutely. Let's do this. Awesome. Well, let's dive right in. And the hardest question is always first. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Uh, My name is Davar. I'm a graphic designer based in Cincinnati, Ohio. I have been a creative for mostly 25 or nearly 30 years. I'm originally Middle Eastern and half European. So I'm kind of a little bit of an international background. Mm-hmm. Live most of my life, half of my life in Europe and half of my life in New York City. Got it. So is it safe to say that you're a Reds fan as well? I'm not a Reds fan. <laughs> no, I'm still a hardcore Yankees fan. Okay, and, there you go. You got the New York roots then. Yeah, I still keep up with the New York Yankees. Ah, I should have worn my Yankees hat and missed an opportunity. <laughs> That's fine. Cool. Well, then what was your childhood like? And do you feel that you had a creative childhood? Yeah, I did have a very international childhood. My father was a diplomat, so mm-hmm. we tended to travel a lot, um, not uh, mostly in Europe. I was actually born in London, England. So I've uh, lived, uh, you know, I lived five years in Rome, Italy, 10 and nearly 12 years in France. Uh, so I've been around of Europe a lot. I lived in Switzerland and then around uh, in the late 80s, uh, I moved to the United States with my family to Washington, D.C. area. So um, during my time as a teenager, uh, I pretty much experienced a lot of, especially in Italy and France, a lot of design and kind of got a real sense of what European design is 
And then as I came to the United States, got a lot of sense of what American design is. And obviously there's a huge break and diversity in style and aesthetics between these two worlds. Interesting. Okay, so what age did you come over to the U.S.? I came here after my high school around the age of 18 to go to university. I went to University of Maryland in College Park, Maryland before I then, uh, once I graduated, I went to New York City and kind of attacked New York City big time and did two and a half years at Pratt Institute Mm -hmm. as uh, MPS, a master's in professional degree in graphic design. Okay, so what do you think led you to becoming a designer? If your father was a diplomat, and what, what did your mother do? Well, my mother was a homemaker. She, mm-hmm. she was, um, but uh, what first I studied, I got into University of Maryland. I did two years of architecture school. My original idea was to become an architect. Okay. And I studied two years of architecture as an uh, undergrad, and I was really intrigued by the world of architecture and the creative part of it. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, there's a wall called math, which you hit <laughs> in architecture, which I was not great at. I and hit I, that wall. Not, yep, and I'm not good at it. And I thought, well, you know, you can do be a good designer. But I did foray and take kind of the discipline of architecture and translated that in the early 90s into what we call graphic design, which was just kind of new. It wasn't that, um, you know, it's not what it is today. Mm-hmm. So when I moved to New York, I was exposed, and as I studied in New York City, I was exposed to some of the greatest graphic designers of that time, mm-hmm. not really appreciating as much just kind of being in it, but really understanding what graphic design was. I mean, I would walk around and, you know, you would see the great work, the beginnings of the great work of people like Paula Scher or the great work of David Carson, um, you know, graphic design legends today who have influenced me. But at that time in New York City, you see it all around. You don't really appreciate it. You just saw it. Yep. So, so this is kind of uh, how I got into graphic design as I studied it. Okay, so then I'm really interested in your answer for this next question um, and to sort of see where the stems come from. Um, but take us back to when you first started noticing design out in the world. What did you start seeing? I saw a lot of, um, well, in Rome, my first biggest exposure when I was living in Rome, my mother, um, she had the opportunity of having clothing and dresses designed by young designers like the name of Versace or the name of Armani. Mm-hmm. And, and so she met them at a very young age when they were just, you know, mere uh, designers, not the fame and legends they are. So I noticed a lot of that kind of design aesthetic, colors, um, also being in Italy, a lot of designs, awnings and typography, but kind of this mix of 70s and 80s design. So that kind of really got me intrigued and interested in the variety of creative graphics. Um, That kind of, I was very curious about logos as well. You know, I would Mm. see identities on cars or I would see identities, you know, like Ferraris on cars or on stores, not knowing like how they got there. I was interested in always like, why, why did they select that typography or why did they select that font? I didn't even know what a font was at the end. It was just kind of like very curious about these symbolic values that people placed on things. That's cool. Okay, so you lived in Rome for how long, sorry? I lived for about five and a half years. And anywhere else in Italy or just Rome? 
Uh, no, well, you know, I, uh, we were, I lived in Rome, but traveled a lot around mm -hmm. the country. We went to Venice, um, Milan, we went to uh, the south of Italy. So, yeah, uh, uh, what's it called? Firenze, which is really the capital of Renaissance art. So lots of art and architecture and creative yep. exposure over in Europe for sure then. Absolutely. Okay, so are you a Ferrari or a Lamborghini guy? A Ferrari hardcore. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, so I want to ask you, what has been the most influential design of your life so far? Either something you've seen or something you've been a part of? I, I, I mean, in terms of if you want to talk about a logo aesthetic, I think one of the greatest designs of a logo was the FedEx logo. I was there when they changed, when Landor revealed that uh, logo overnight in New York City, you know, you, you were used to seeing the World Federal Express, then suddenly overnight you see all these trucks, and, and we lived across from one of the depots, one of the main Federal Express um, housing, so we suddenly saw this new logo that got exposed on, on, on a large scale to the New York City. A lot of people did not know, and this was just before the internet, so where, why? Where's the art? What's going on? Why did they change their name? And it was very curious to me in terms of the design aesthetic of, oh my God, so they put the arrow, the negative space. And, you know, at that time I was studying design and I remember our teacher saying, did anybody notice the invisible arrow? And we were like, no. And when he explained it to us, we were like, oh my. So for a designer or for somebody who's studying design, this was like a big deal. Mm -hmm. It was like kind of revolutionary in its way because it was a graphic element that a lot of graphic designers noticed, but not the general people in New York. Mm -hmm. So when you walked around and people saw it, I'm like, and you would mention, hey, did you guys see the notice? They're like, no. And when they looked at it, they're like, oh my God. You know, this <laughs> surprise as if you had a secret, you had like a secret superpower that nobody else had. That still is all over blogs. Um, about you know hidden meanings or hidden hidden images within logos, you, know, yeah. you see those posts. It's still all over. Yeah, yeah. So the power, as well as the you know kind of like I said, this like uh, power of logo design was extremely important to me. That how much it affects your psyche, how much a business gets really affected by you know a simple identity. Mm -hmm. So. I want to hear about the most challenging time in your life. What's been the most challenging time in your career, design career so far? And why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Well, I spent, uh, after I graduated from Pratt, I went into uh, advertisement. I did about 15 years into um, pharmaceutical advertisement, working for different kinds of brands. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think I was more... I wanted to go back to my design roots and I had kind of, uh, you know, missed that. So I decided to kind of take a break for a while and really go back into my design roots starts by, you know, I wanted to really get hired by some of the design agencies, but unfortunately my portfolio did not let me. I had a lot of great advertising campaigns and concepts, but not real design. So an opportunity and during that time where I was transitioning from advertising and as an art director, as actually a creative director, I kind of had to go back and relearn design in a way on myself and kind of, uh, you know, even though I studied it, it's hard to, you know, start putting it to practice. 
and an opportunity came for me to go and work and head a design group within the BBDO um, uh, leg of advertising in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So I took that challenge to lead a design team as well as, you know, lead a branding team. And it was challenging because, you know, um, you kind of have to teach or relearn, but also earn your chops with other already established graphic designers. Yep. So the, the kind of upstream, it was like learning quickly, learning fast, and at the same time getting used to going back to think about branding, logo, design, color theory, and all that kind of fun stuff. Wow. So whereabouts in the Middle East was this? It was in Dubai, in Lebanon, as well as uh, when you're head of design of that uh, region, what they call the MEA region, Middle Eastern and, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia and all that area. Wow. <laughs> all right. Yeah, that would be a big one. That would be tough. Yeah. Um, so who is a designer or brand that you look up to or closely follow? And what is it about them that you like? Uh, well, these days I have been... Um, I've been a big advocate of uh, design thinkers like Italian designer who's heading the PepsiCo team called Mauro Porcini. He has been really influential in terms of uh, advocating design or design thinking within the corporate environment. Mm -hmm. But then uh, most recently, Natasha Jen of Pentagram, she's one of the senior partners there who has really shaken up the design industry by uh, saying that, you know what, this whole design thinking thing that everybody's talking about, it's kind of bullshit. <laughs> and that uh, it's not, we've all been doing design thinking from the first day, except somebody has come along and kind of bottled it up and repackaged it and sold it as a corporate solution to all design problems, which is not true mm -hmm. because design thinking does not work for every company. And she has been a great influence, not just on the aesthetic side, but also on the overall design thinking side. Mm -hmm. So what's your opinion then on social media? Do you think that it's changed graphic design or the process of design? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Social media has brought designers close together, has supported uh, or become a big supporter of design. Unfortunately, that also has this backlash of, you know, what we call um, armchair designers when they release a brand or a logo out there on social media, mm -hmm. people react to it in a very amateur way, as well as they voice their opinion in a very amateur and kind of not respectful way towards some of the identity. I mean, I've myself done it. I've become, I, I used to be a little bit more critical, but at the same time, I have changed my view and have placed a bigger importance in respecting the process or the thinking behind a design rather than kind of a knee-jerk reaction and kind of uh, voicing that opinion online. Oh, yeah, because online, does, you know, you're almost re relieved of half of the, you know, the potential damage that your statements could have. Exactly. So then you, you've sort of now trained yourself to look at something and try and understand it instead of looking at it and being like, what? Why did they do that that way? That's silly. Exactly. I mean, okay. the thing is, you have to you have to really think that behind that identity, behind the branding or something that organization or design has put forth on social media, there's a whole team of people. There's a lot of decision makers who work really hard in making this happen. Therefore, that one or two person or a group of people coming and criticizing it or just 
kind of coming from an angle of not really understanding what is the work that weighed behind it, I think diminishes the process as well as diminishes the entire graphic design industry. Mm, okay. Um, and I also wanted to mention that your LinkedIn profile was the first uh, way that we connected because every single day, almost multiple times a day, it seems you're putting together, you know, brilliant photo posts or, or sharing ones that you've come across. Um, where do you find most of these? Well, I find them everywhere. I mean, from Twitter to Instagram to Behance to articles to blogs. I see it everywhere. So my basic, my concept was, well, there is a whole... Um, uh, there's a lot of good graphic design on or bad and as well as bad not great um, graphic design but they're still kind of supporting graphic design on other social media so and as I saw what what kind of generated the idea of going on LinkedIn was I saw a lot of people put or graphic designers putting up their not very polished logos up for kind of a democratic vote like do you like if you like logo A B C and D tell mm -hmm. me which ones and I thought that really diminishes the process, but also was this kind of clickbait way of, of, of starting the design conversation in a very bad and slanted way that letting people who have no background dictate or decide which logo is better over another. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, re I really adamantly dislike that process. So I thought, wait, why don't I try to at least from the designs that I am inspired, as well as the as well as some of the designs that I see out there, try to translate some what is a good design and put it forth in this you know on LinkedIn or other social media to kind of not not to kind of condescendingly educate, but just say hey this is what's happening out there. Look at what other designers are doing. Look at how powerful the design community is and can be. Because at the end of the day, we're all you know, part of a bigger global community, but there's a lot of nice design that goes unseen. I have, um, I, you know, communicate with a lot of designers who are working at companies, working at uh, corporations, working at agencies, but they don't expose themselves to other designers, other branding and great design that's happening because we are all, you know, very busy with the design, current design work we're doing. And what I'm seeing is like people are just, you know, in their cubicles and their offices, designing away, doing great work, but the exposure is not there. Mm -hmm. And I feel it's a missed opportunity. So then as a graphic designer, putting those collections of brilliant designs and, and sharing and crediting the other designers when you post them, what has that done for you and your profile on LinkedIn? Well, it has, it has generated a great conversation. I had um, the famous Chris Doe the other day asked me, he goes, why do you do this? Why do you put some, a lot of these great designs on LinkedIn? What is the purpose? Do you get something out of it? Are you getting business? I go, it's a kind of double, uh, it's a double game. Yes, I get a lot of interest. I get a lot of people asking me questions or praising some of the work that's been going on or they're seeing. But at the same time, I'm like, if my, my quest is if I can influence one business or one person who has not been exposed to what good graphic design is and have them think, hey, you know, I have a business who's doing okay or a business who's struggling. But at the same time, I see like this post that Devar put up and it's showing me that in this kind of business that I am, this kind of design can be done. Let me find out who did it. That's why I make sure that I always, always 
put in the actual or origins of the link or if there's a quote or something that I've picked, I make sure that the person who has credited the work is credited through their link or whatever social media or their website. So I want to make sure the person gets credit, but at the same time, I want businesses out there to understand that there's a lot of great design happening. That if your businesses struggle or you're starting a business and your business is in is in need of a good logo, identity, branding, or packaging, mm-hmm. that you can contact that person. You can go forth and kind of through LinkedIn or find out through who they are, what they are, and maybe that person is available to help you grow your business or create better design for your business. Got it. That's great. I love what you're doing. I'm going to go down memory lane a little bit here for the next couple of questions. And the first one is going to take us on the dark path (laughs) and then we'll swing right back. Um, But take us to a design or a project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. What was that like and how did that feel? Um, I worked on a personal, I mean, on a project with a lady who did wanted to do a packaging for health food powder product Uh and you know she was a personal friend of the past and she asked me to help her design her brand her packaging and identity and we went back and forth a lot in terms of what is what is the real essence what is the story we're trying to tell on the packaging and we had agreed on a direction and she was very excited and you know her designed her packaging I really made sure that she was part of the process and her packaging after it got printed and done and on the shelf she was kind of very happy but unfortunately you know she started second guessing her decision making second guessing my decision making and and she kind of halfway through i mean once the job was already printed and on the shelf she started you know picking or nitpicking at it or listening to others people criticism or other people telling her in terms of just because they wanted her money at the end of the day or wanted the change of direction she started asking other people's opinions about a project that you know she was happy at the beginning and started putting down and unfortunately she changed complete direction and you know she even after the product was launched and everything she did something completely different that looks much less professional and and look does not look uh, professional or looks very amateur and ugly at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that part of her business has tanked, and it's she stopped making it because of this kind of change of direction. She didn't let the design as well as the packaging and the communication kind of take its course in order to create that success that she was looking for. So then as the graphic designer who was there right at the beginning with the planning and development of this product, um, how did that feel when that happened or when it, all of a sudden it was off the shelf? Well, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, the kind of work that I did for her, I felt more bad for the client than myself. At the end of the day, you know, I got paid for my work, but I felt that she did not she did not pay justice to her business. And I think that if I'm not saying that the fail, the business wide fail was uh, blamed on the packaging, but I think that she did not trust the design, did not trust the design process, nor did she trust her own instinct. And unfortunately, when you have a client who doesn't trust themselves, doesn't trust the design, or doesn't trust you know the, the process, the business will ultimately fail. Um, as designers, you know, we, we tend to do due diligence to audit, due diligence to kind of giving our best professional advice. 
and and uh, if the client does not trust that, the business will fail ultimately. Mm-hmm. So some it almost sounds like the the sales didn't come immediately upon yeah. launch, and sort of a little bit of panic set in and started looking for reasons why. Exactly, which ah, which was the failure of a lot of businesses where you know or businesses or identities or branding, and again it, it happened a lot of times online where uh, Michael Beirut or uh, Pentagram would launch a design project and try to promote it and a lot of people like I mentioned like Armchair they attack it but at the end of the day Michael Beirut says it the best when he says just give the business time not the brand. It, the mm-hmm. brand itself will live in and you know whether it makes or not but it's really about the business, the long-term longevity, how they market it. If it's a successful idea or a business, it will make money regardless of the logo, identity, or the packaging. Yep. Yeah, well said. Um, so then switching gears to the other side, what, what's a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of? One that makes your heart sing or the biggest design feather in your cap? Um, I worked on a chemical company uh, a couple of years ago called Michaelman, local chemical business company. And the identity that I worked on and developed um, at this agency was really, you know, it's they, they're a big company. They do a lot of chemical manufacturing mm-hmm. on, in America as well as in Europe and global. But I've seen by following them on LinkedIn and online and seeing their progress, how much the CEO of this company has embraced this identity mm-hmm. and the company was called Michaelman. And I see how he has used it in the way that, you know, you can't kind of like, you can't put that in the guidelines. You can't put that in the, in the logo and explain somebody, you know, this logo needs to be done this way or that way. But I think that the CEO saw the potential and has been embracing it. And, you know, I just recently drove by a giant new building that went up with that identity and logo at the very top in neon lights and well designed and it made me proud i'm like wow you know it's not just the logo but when you have the top echelon of a company really embracing it and using it and then i see through his social media and website how the employees in china and in india are using it and in a proud way on their uh, uniforms on their banners and their building, it makes me proud because it's not only making the business grow, but there's a sense of pride. So it makes me like, you know what, this project that I spent maybe six or seven months on is has a longer lifespan and a shelf life than, than what I intended it to be. Devar, that is such a great answer because it's not like it's something that's, you know, something you did that ended up on a billboard in the middle of Times Square and millions of people are looking at it every day. Um, You know, it's something that a chemical company that most people in the world, most consumers aren't going to see, but the company is embracing it and using it to its full potential. And, And that's cool. That's a great perspective on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, there's other two examples I did on identity for another company called Seal Air. And they are, you know, they used to be a bubble, you know, the bubble wrap you see in packaging. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, they merged with another company. So an identity, the genesis of the identity and the logo they have now, which I developed just from a simple idea uh, of architectural idea. Uh, I see it every time. Every time an Amazon package, I receive an Amazon package and I see the bubble wrap and the product that's in there has that identity, has that logo that I designed on the bubble wrap. Oh, and that's it's cool. like, 
wow. I'm like, so when I open it, I'm like, well, look, there, that's my logo. But I'm like, look at the amount, millions of people on a global scale. When they open this box, they throw the bubble wrap away and they don't know what it is. They don't look at that identity and say nice logo or at least it works. They just use it. So yeah. I'm like, for me, that's the best way to see how an identity or a branding or design works is when it goes unnoticed. So for me, it works. Very good. Um, I want to ask one more last question here and fit it in. Uh, what is one design product, tool, website, or a community that you just cannot live without? Well, um, I think the Behance community, which was recently bought by Adobe, has been great for the design community to give everybody an opportunity to post their work, to promote their work, to really put work up there that they're proud of and other people see. It's become really a platform for other people seeking work to go there and really see good professional or at least even young students who want to promote their portfolios to put up work there. Mm -hmm. I mean, compared to some of the other platform, uh, platforms like Dribbble or Tumblr, it's, it's really well uh, curated, you know? It's not your average, um, you know, Instagram just posting a couple of work. I do want to say that I'm kind of proud of the uh, my Instagram feed, which is interesting because um, I saw a lot of different designers starting to mimic in a way um, an Instagram feed where you just don't place a logo or a design. You put in, you know, five or six versions of that identity executed just to give everybody the insight and inspiration of seeing an identity being really rolled out on a couple of different executions to understand how it works. Mm. Um, one of the things that I teach in design school to a lot of my students is when they do their portfolio, I'm like, I rather see one good logo with different design assets on a brand kind of shown different ways and legs of a logo than you showing me four or five good mediocre logos. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Devar, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great chatting with you. Absolutely. Thank you very much for the opportunity. All right, it's Dave, your host again at the end. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. You can really hear the experience and the mind of a design instructor as well uh, in all the stories and things Devar shared with us. So thank you so much for listening. You can find Devar on Instagram at inhousedesigns underscore. And uh, you'll see there's a ton up there and he is regular and posting a great inspirational page. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome day.